Welcome to episode 170 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Jennifer Tomlinson. She decided to join the military after attending a meeting for her high school sweetheart who was joining the Air Force. She had never considered military service before, but that one meeting changed everything. And even though she was only a junior in high school, she knew that she wanted to serve in the Air Force. She signed up, finished high school, and began her military career. In this interview, we specifically talked about what it was like to get divorced to someone who's in the military and the way that the military worked to help keep their family together as they co-parented. And it was really interesting to hear the challenges that they had to overcome and how the military was able to work with their family so that they could be stationed together as much as possible so that there was some stability for their kids and it made it easier for them to co-parent. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp and USA Girl Scouts Overseas for supporting this week's episode of Women of the Military podcast. Sabio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Sabio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. USA Girl Scouts Overseas Virtual Troop is a great way for girls to learn new skills, meet girls from all over the world, and have fun no matter where they are or where they move. Adults can also volunteer with Girl Scouts, and it is such a great way for adults to continue to learn and meet new friends. Volunteering is easy and can be done by just giving seconds, minutes, or hours each week to help support Girl Scouts. USA Girl Scouts Overseas has many fun activities and ways to stay engaged for girls K-12 through and for their adult lifetime members. You can learn more about joining or volunteering with USA Girl Scouts Overseas by heading to their website, usagso.org. That's usagso.org. And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Jen. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Well, I grew up in a house where no one really, college wasn't a thing. My parents didn't go to college. They worked for a grocery store. So college was never something that we planned for. So when I graduated high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was, I had a high school sweetheart and he was joining the Air Force. And I went to a delayed enlistment program meeting with him. And they were going over AFSCs. And uh, they were also serving Subway and Pepsi, (laughs) which kind of uh, was part of what got me in. But I loved that there were all these jobs available. And so I thought I'd give it a shot. Had you ever considered the military before you went to that meeting or you just were like, oh, I'll go with you to this? More to be a support, not to join, right? I had never even considered the military. No one in my family really ever served. It was 
just completely out of the ordinary. But when I went to that meeting, it was more for me. It wasn't for him, but I, they just really sold me at that meeting on the Air Force. It, it was just kind of an impromptu decision, honestly. It was, I was in my junior year of high school. I was, I was still 17, so my dad went and you know, signed for me. Just a, you know, kind of an on-the-whim decision, but it was the best decision I ever made. That's really cool. So you said you were a junior, and that's when you decided to join. And then did you wait until you graduated from high school before you went to boot camp? I did. And actually, back then, the the delayed enlistment program, that year counts towards my pay. I'm grandfathered into that. That doesn't, that's not how it is anymore. In fact, I don't even know if there is a delayed enlistment program anymore. I just went to meetings. We had like a monthly meeting until I graduated high school. And then I just waited for my basic training date, which ended up being about six months. But yeah, it's, it's kind of unique. I'm not sure. There's a whole lot of people around still that, that went through that. Yeah, I think they have some sort of delayed entry program, but was yours more like structured and you had to be there and it wasn't like it would be nice for you to show up to this? It was like you needed to be there? Is that kind of how it worked? Yeah, it was kind of a monthly, hey, show up. You know, they'd have a briefing about the Air Force. And and so it was almost like kind of an accountability thing just to kind of ensure that I was still on board. So yeah, it was probably a little different then than it is now. I'm sure a lot has changed. And that's interesting that it was added to like your years of service for your pay. I've never met anyone who has talked about that. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I have, you know, an extra year for pay. So I'll be eligible for retirement next, actually this year, now that we're in 2022. But I I have almost 22 years for pay. So it's kind of cool. Do you feel like the delayed entry program prepared you for basic training or when you left after you graduated from high school, were you kind of like, well, what did I just sign up for? I don't think that it prepared me for basic training. I think it gave me just a little more insight on what the Air Force was, which was nice because I was clueless. But going into basic training, I remember... I was incredibly excited, but equally as clueless. So I don't think that, you know, is the intent of the program is to prepare you for basic, but just to kind of maybe educate you a little bit on what you're about to venture into. Yeah. So what was your experience at boot camp like overall? Oh my goodness. I hated basic training. <laughs> I, I just... I hated being yelled at. I did well in basic training. I say overall it was successful. I just really hated the high stress environment. Physically, I was that kid who walked in gym class. So it it was challenging physically for me. But overall, it was a, a successful, gosh, what was it then? Six weeks, I think. Six or eight weeks, I can't remember. I was there over Christmas. Christmas was one of my harder harder days. We had a, a GI party on Christmas. And then my other probably most difficult day was the day that I got my job, my AFSE. I went in open general, which again, having no clue about the military, I went in open general. I don't recommend that for anyone. And the only job I did not want is what I received, and that was security forces. So I was pretty upset that day. But funny story, I went through security forces training 
I made it all the way to the day of evals, which included a two-week course on the front end for M60 school. And I had stress fractures, stress changes in my knees, stress changes in my feet. I mean, I was just a mess. Again, wasn't the athlete type and we were running in boots and it was pretty rigorous training. I ended up getting reclassed, but to this day, my best friend was in my my security forces flight. And I have quite a few friends that I'm still in touch with from that flight. We were incredibly close. And you'll hear that throughout this whole conversation. Just the greatest part about the Air Force has been the family. I don't regret going through that training. I'm really glad I did because I, I grew definitely, but I got reclassed into personnel. I agree. I think the people that you meet while you're in the military is the best. That's my favorite part. And now being really active in the better community and getting to interview women for the podcast, I still get to meet people. And it's my favorite part of just the military community while you're in and as a veteran is all the people that you meet. So I think that's a really cool story. And I think that's great advice to not go in general where you don't have a career field pick out. And it's kind of interesting because you had such a long period of waiting, like you signed up your junior year. And then it's interesting that the recruiter didn't try and push you to not go in that way. I'm sure things have changed a lot. But I had a guest last year and she went in without a career field in the Marine Corps. And she said the same thing. Don't do that. Pick a job before you go. Yes, great advice. You ended up getting recycled, which means that you didn't complete the training. And so then you got a new career field and you were a personnelist, which is more like an office type job. What was that experience like? And where was your first assignment? So my first assignment was Davis Monthan Air Force Base in in Arizona, which is kind of cool. I'll talk about later. It was my first enlisted base and it was my first commissioned base. Arizona has a, a special place in my heart, but as a personnelist, you know, I felt right at home. It was service. I grew up with three siblings and I, I kind of took care, you know, helped take care of them. And I don't know, I just felt like service was right up my alley. I, I enjoyed taking care of people. I worked in outbound assignments. So I helped people with their, their permanent change of station and it was rewarding. I ended up getting uh, airmen below the zone there. And I had probably the best, one of the best supervisors of my career there and made, again, some really great friends that I'm still in touch with. I really enjoyed Arizona, the, the blue sky and the warm weather. It sounds like it was the perfect fit for you. And how long were you enlisted before you switched to being an officer? I was enlisted for about five and a half years. And actually, I separated because I was pregnant and I was having my first child. And I had received an assignment to England, which I was very excited about. But my husband at the time was in ROTC. And if I took the assignment, he would have had to give up his ROTC commission. So I ended up separating. So that is why I separated from being enlisted was, you know, the actual code and reason was to to have my first child. ROTC is a 
program you do during college to become an officer. So it sounds like the military wasn't really very helpful with like accommodating your guys' relationship. It was like, sucks to be you. This is how it is. Well, we served on the honor guard together. He, we were at Lackland Air Force Base. He was um, a military training instructor and we were both on the honor guard. And that's where we met. He got picked up for the Airman Scholarship Commissioning Program, ASCP, I think it's called. And so he was, you know, incredibly excited. He had just been picked up. We were newly married and, you know, things were great. And then I received the assignment. And what I was told is if I did not take the assignment, I would get hit up for a non-voluntary assignment to Korea as soon as baby was born. That's basically kind of what they told me. So that really left a bad taste in my mouth. I had just been reblued. I had just gone to Airman Leadership School. I had won the John Levito Award. Like I was ready to become a chief. I was super motivated. And then that happened. And it was it was incredibly disheartening. I made the decision to separate. I mean, it was gosh, I think it might have been a 60-day turnaround after that, you know, because my family, I was going to put my family first. You know, it's hard with the military, right? Because it's like any other organization, it's about the people. And if you have people that don't care or don't want to help someone, that's, unfortunately, it's just luck of the draw. And that person at assignments did not care. They did not go above and beyond and try to help me out, they probably could have retained me somehow. But that individual chose not to. So, you know, you see that a lot. But again, it's no different than than the civilian world. I think that's like one of the hardest challenges of being in the military is like there's a lot of programs that are in there to help moms and to help parents stay together if you're both active duty serving But then there's people who run those programs and they don't always want to work to help to make things happen. And that can lead to people leaving the military. And so that's really hard. I mean, especially like you don't take this assignment, you're going to go to Korea after you give birth. That would be really hard. When I was in six months after having a baby, it was likely that I was going to deploy. And I really struggled with being able to do that and was and that was a really big factor in me wanting to leave so I can totally understand like why that would make you not want to stay and just how the whole experience didn't seem like a good one yeah for sure I totally get that and I truly believe we have leaders that are trying to make you know, that better. There's a lot of programs in place now that just amaze me. For example, there is a, I don't know the name of it, but there's a program in place now where if you're divorced and both active duty, the Air Force will help get you together just so your kids, you know, can have both of you close by. So I think that's amazing. My, um, I'm divorced now and my ex-husband, when we were both active duty still, he's retired now, his wife is active duty as well. We were able to follow each other because there were incredible individuals working at the personnel center who would help us get to the same location. Again, you know, now you have an example of people that went above and beyond. So we were able to keep our kids to where they could see both of us. It was very healthy. You're so right. It just depends on who is sitting in that position and if they, you know, want want to help. But yeah, the programs are, are getting better and, and so that's very encouraging. 
Yeah, and that's a really great program, especially for you being a single mom. If you're a single mom in the military and you move away from your ex-husband and the kids are separated, like you have to figure out like how you're going to get kids to different assignments and all the dynamics to go with that. But if you can like go to the same assignment and be able to co-parent in a way that's more like the way normal people who live in the same city do, I think that's a great program. And another example of how much I think the military has changed in the last, I don't know, 20 years of trying to help families be the priority and balancing the mission and family life together. And when people go above and beyond and try and make it work, they keep people in the service when sometimes they feel like they have to get out, like in your first situation where you got out because you didn't have the support you needed. But then the second time around, you were able to get that support and work together. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, speaking about being a a single parent, that is the one thing that is most important is building that support group. And every single time you PCS, you have to rebuild that support group. So you're spot on. If you can get to where those parents are in the same location or even, you know, remotely close, it is so crucial, especially in like that first six months. Because, you know, as soon as you get to your base, you have to have a family care plan, right? The first thing you have to fill out is a family care plan. And how am I going to tell you someone that's not in the military who's going to take care of my children when I just moved there? You know, so those are the type of challenges that you deal with. And you just have to get to know people quick and, and, and build those support groups. I can relate to that because when we moved here, my son started kindergarten and they're like, who's your emergency contact? And I'm like, will my mom work? Because she's in California. And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, I'll go find the neighbor and be like, will you be my emergency contact? And like, I barely knew them, but they needed it someone. And it is like every time you start over, you have to build your community, build your contacts and build your support network. And it's hard enough to do when you have both parents in the same place and even more challenging when you're separated and you have to try and figure all those things out. Yep, absolutely. There's been a few few assignments where when I was at Randolph Air Force Base, I actually started a single parent group because it's kind of surprising to me that there's nothing. We have, you know, spouse groups. When people deploy their spouses are taken care of. I can't remember what the program's called. Like a very specific one, Hearts Apart, I think is what it's called. But there's really nothing in place to assist single parents. So anyway, I started up a single parent support group and it was really great. We had a really great turnout at first and then um, it kind of shrunk. But again, still in touch with a few of those ladies that were part of that group, uh, we're still, you know, supporting each other now over the, over the miles. And so those are the kind of the informal things that you, you get started just to kind of create that support for you. And just another example of how the, the military family comes together and, and helps each other out. For sure. So let's get back to your time in the military and So you got out of the military and you kind of had a bad situation where they didn't take care of you the way they should. What prompted you to decide, I'm going to go back in 
as an officer? So I knew I always wanted to get commissioned, even as a very, very young airman. I always wanted to lead. And so when I separated from enlisted, I actually went into a program called the Palace Acquire Internship. And it was a GS program. So it was a 7-9-11 program. And basically, you start off as a 7, and then you work up each year. You get promoted. And it's an internship. So this internship was in communications. So I had done personnel, and now I was in communications. And for three years, I learned all about, I rotated through the communications squadron learned about everything that they did. And then I worked at the headquarters there in San Antonio, Air Education and Training Command. So I kind of learned what the headquarters did. And so it was a really great experience, but the, the PAC program is what they call it. It shapes GS employees to be leaders. So they send you to all this training. I went to the aerospace basic course, which is a lieutenant, you know, PME. I went through that as a GS which was really unique because here I was this freshly separated senior airman with lieutenants, you know, in civilian clothes, you know, it was just such a unique experience. But anyway, they shaped you as a leader. So I kind of got all these classes and leadership skills. And then I was about to graduate the program and I would have gotten a GS-12, I've been placed, but my husband at the time got an assignment. And so we PCS to Fairchild Air Force Base. And I had just finished my degree. So my degree was done. We moved to Fairchild, which I'm from Washington State. So I was excited to be about four hours from my family. And I literally could not find a job in Spokane. Not on base, not off base. It was incredibly discouraging because here I had just gone through this program. I was feeling great, had this great resume. I had my degree could not find a job. So eventually I got a temp job at the Logistics Readiness Squadron as a a squadron secretary. And then I ended up getting a permanent position at the medical treatment facility as a squadron commander secretary for the medical support squadron commander. So I worked for him until we PCS'd. My husband got an assignment to work at OTS, Officer Training School, as an instructor. So we PCS to Alabama, to Montgomery, Alabama, and I got a job there as the support squadron commander secretary, as the secretary. While we were in Spokane, I got my master's degree. So here I was with my master's degree, sitting in a GS4, I believe, position at the officer training school. So my husband and I both worked at the officer training school. And I worked for a personnelist, just an amazing human being. And I enjoyed it. It was a great time, but I just felt like I could do more. And these OTs, uh, officer trainees would come in and I'm like, man, I could do that. You know, I was just uh, struggling with where I was at. And so anyway, my boss encouraged me, hey, you should apply. And so the medical service corps... AFSC. It's a direct commission. At that time, OTS was still bought and caught. So the basic officer trainees and the commission officer trainees. And so I ended up getting a direct commission and um, 
going through OTS, which was a really unique experience because I knew everyone. You know, I had been working in the support squadron. I knew all the military training instructors. I knew the physical training instructors. I knew the field training instructors. I knew them all. And they were kind of silent cheerleaders for me. So I had a really unique experience going through OTS. Yeah, that's that's how I ended up getting commissioned. Yeah, you talked about a really big issue that I know a lot about of military spouse unemployment and then also underemployment. Military spouse unemployment is like 25, at least before the pandemic, it was like 25, 26%. I'm doing off the top of my head and remembering. And then underemployment is just as high or higher of military spouses who have a job. It's something they're overqualified to do. And so it's interesting that that challenge kind of led you back to the military and being around all those officer trainees. You're like, I could do this. And then having the right leadership to push you to apply and then um, getting to do that. And it sounds like it probably was a better experience than basic training. It was, and I, I still hated it. But <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was... Uh... It was definitely a special experience um, because I felt it was kind of the, <laughs> kind of like this little secret, you know, like I felt like I had the support kind of that nobody else had it. You know, it's probably all in my mind. But, you know, I had a, a huge part of pushing me back to the uniform was that I missed it so much. I sat in that chair and, and I took care of my commander as his secretary but I, I, you know, constantly was seeing everything that was going on in the squadron. I would come out in PT with them. I mean, we talk about big A, right? We talk about we're all airmen. We do in the Air Force anyway. And I really, really like feel that that's true. And so right now I'm at a staff job, but when I have a flight or I'm leading and I have GS employees, to me, they're just as important, just as much part of the family, because I've kind of been there and I know what it feels like to be slighted or treated differently. We're all part of the team. I did feel that a little bit as a GS employee and I didn't like it and I missed being in the uniform. And so that was a huge part of why I wanted to come back in. And you mentioned that you were pregnant when you got out of the military. So when you went back in, you were a mom. What ages were your kids and what was it like to be away for them for the training? And then, I mean, you were already working, but was there any difference between both you and your husband at the time being on active duty or anything like that? While we were at Fairchild, I had two more kiddos. So I was fortunate enough to be able to stay at home with them, you know, not have to worry about maternity leave, which also has gotten so much better now. But back then, I think it was like six weeks if, you know, active duty. But anyway, I had two more children. And so when I got commissioned, I was still married and I had three children. So I had a eight-year-old, a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And yeah, it was hard leaving them going through, I think it was four weeks of training for us at COT. But yeah, it's definitely definitely hard leaving them behind. Uh, I was lucky in that obviously they were local because, you know, I'd lived there. And so when I started to get Liberty, I got to see them. So I was very fortunate that way. But yeah, after OTS, I had to go to my, my school, you know, for my job. 
And that was three months. That was difficult. My story is unique because my husband and I were actually going through a divorce when I went through OTS. We were not officially divorced, but we were going through a divorce. So by the time I got my first assignment, which was Davis Monthan, we were divorced. And so I went to Davis Monthan with our three children. That's when my single parent journey began, the same time that my first commissioning assignment began. So that was probably the most challenging assignment I've ever had because it was such a transition for all of us. But yeah, no, that being away from them is is definitely hard, especially when they're little like that, for sure. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of emotions and like good emotions about commissioning and starting a new career. And then the hard emotions of like dealing with divorce and like figuring out how to do everything on your own in a new place without that support network that we talked about. That's really adds a whole another dynamic to being in the military when you're also making a bunch of other new fresh starts and have your kids to worry about. You mentioned that eventually your ex-husband and you and his wife were always able to, I don't know, always, were able to get stationed together. When did that happen? So my ex-husband went from Maxwell in Montgomery to Davis Monthan. He got an assignment to Davis Monthan. And so he came to Davis Monthan and then I actually got deployed. So it worked out really well. He showed up in Tucson and then I got an, a, a deployment. So I left for deployment, well, first for three months of combat skills training and then seven months of deployment. So I was really gone for about 10 months. And thank God he was there because they were able to stay in their school. We didn't have to uproot them. It, were, it worked out really well. And then when I came back, he got a year deployment. So he then left and went on a year deployment. And um, by then he was remarried. And when he came back from his year deployment, he did a follow on to where his wife was, which was in San Antonio. So then I got an assignment to San Antonio and we were all together again for quite a few years. I think we were there for about five years and she ended up leaving one year. So they went to Travis Air Force Base and then we got an assignment to Okinawa and then she got an assignment to Okinawa. So, you know, we've been very fortunate. There's been a few years where we haven't been able to be in the same place But for the most part, we've been able to kind of follow each other around. Yeah. And the stability of not having to have your kids uprooted, like when you deployed and the fact that your ex-husband was able to get stationed there so that that worked out so well, it just, it highlights why having rules like that to help families is so important because being a military kid is really hard. They're so resilient, but that at least my kids, they don't really show a lot of emotions at times, but then sometimes they do over things that there's a movie we just watched and at the end he has to say goodbye and my eight-year-old was bawling and I was like, oh, you know what this emotion is like to say goodbye to someone and not see them again or not know if you're going to see them again and he was just so upset and it made me realize how hard it is to be a military kid because I wasn't crying because I didn't experience that when I was a child. I experienced it in the military, but it was by choice. And he's experienced so much that 
I don't think people realize like how hard it is on kids. And so if there's ways that families can stay together and help the kids not have to have as much uprooting, it's really important. Yeah, I totally agree. And man, yeah, that uh, that makes perfect sense. You know, we as military members, and I'm generalizing a little bit here, but we are, we're pretty tough, right? Like we, we don't normally show a lot of emotion. You know, we're always trying to keep our bearing and our kids, you know, they emulate that. And so they do, they try to be tough and and they are resilient, but that's so true that there are times when, you know, they become vulnerable and you're like, oh, geez, it just kind of clicks in your head, right? Like, man, and I'd be lying if I said there's not guilt attached to that, you know, as a parent, especially as a mother, you want the best for them. And, and that's hard to see sometimes when they, when you know that your actions, you know, what you've had to do has shaped that. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah, it was really hard to watch and then to like reflect back and be like, wow, this eight year old has more emotion about this movie than like most adults because he understands exactly what the character is going through. And most other people are just like, Oh, that's, you know, they didn't relate the way, but military kids have to deal with so much at such a young age. I think it makes them stronger people, but it doesn't mean that it's easy for them to go through all that. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. So we're almost out of time, but was there anything else from your career that you wanted to talk about? So I've deployed twice and just... You know, as a mom, I know this is, you know, you like to kind of touch on that a little bit. And um, like I said, my first deployment was seven months. I was in Afghanistan and that was really hard leaving my kids. At the time, I think they were like five, six and and ten. They were little still. And that was, you know, that was really hard. And that was kind of before technology was awesome. (laughs) You know, we weren't FaceTiming yet. Like we had a little room, you know, that you could go to and Skype. I could Skype with the kids. But yeah, my second deployment was much easier. We I had FaceTime, and um, that was in 2015. And then the kids were a little bit older, and and they understood a bit more. But my first deployment, my oldest, again, she was. I guess she was more like 13 because she was in middle school and she got bullied while I was gone. And that was really hard because she's still trying to work through that, like as a 22 year old. So I would just say if, you know, you're a woman and deploying and you have kids, just making sure that, you know, you're talking to them while you're gone and making sure that they're okay. Because that was really hard. And again, like she's still dealing with that to this day. But you know, our kids are, are unique and sometimes kids are mean. It was just kind of a rough experience, but uh, overall my deployments were, were really good experiences. I just, you know, I miss my kids, but again, they were with their dad. So when, when I deployed the second time, it was out of San Antonio and we were together. So that was, that was nice. I was laughing when you were talking about the technology because I think I was deployed around the same time. I was deployed in 2010 and we didn't have Wi-Fi and we had the video conference and we used Skype. People were like, how did you stay connected? And I was like, well, it was hard then. Now it's so so much easier. We would talk on a video chat once a week and 
now you have Wi-Fi and you can FaceTime in your room and have a little bit more privacy. And I think that the way technology has changed has made it, I mean, it's not easy, but it's so much easier to stay connected with your family. And so like it is, it's so important to stay connected. And I actually was going back through and I was like, wow, my husband and I sent a lot of emails and we wrote about like all kinds of random stuff that would have been in like text messages today. So it's kind of cool that we have these emails, which would be equivalent to text messages, but that's what we would do. We would just email back and forth and talk to each other that way. And I think staying connected to your family while you're overseas is so important. And luckily technology is making it easier to stay connected. Yeah, absolutely. That is so true. My question was going to be about your deployment, so I'm excited that's what you went with. I was going to ask you. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed getting to hear about your story and hear about some of the challenges and difficulties that you've faced and how you guys have overcome them. And I always like to end the podcast with what advice would you give to young women who are considering the military? I would say join the Air Force. No, I honestly probably give them the same advice I'd give anyone. And that's that, you know, the military is a family and it's it's an amazing, if nothing else, it's an amazing stepping stool. You know, if you come in the military, you don't have to stay for 20, but it, it's this way to, to serve your country and to kind of do something bigger than you and you gain this amazing family along the way. And not only that, you know, you can go to school, they promote, you you know, your health, fitness. I mean, there's so many benefits to it. I have tried to get all three of my kids to go the military route. None of them want anything to do with it. And I think that's because we've had a little bit of a challenging go. I think they want stability and I don't blame them. It's if you're looking for adventure and growth and a family, I would say absolutely 100% do it. I love that advice, and I, I love when Air Force people say go Air Force. It makes me laugh. Not that other branches don't do that, too. I have had other people say, join the branch I join. I think the military does give you a unique stepping stone for your life. And like you said, you don't have to serve for 20 years. You can serve for four years, and you can gain so much. I served for six years, and it changed my life completely. And I'm still connected to the military, even though I'm not serving. So I think that... It's great advice, and thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. This has been so much fun. Thanks for uh, the opportunity, Amanda. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If this is your first time listening to Women of the Military podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast. There are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in, joining, serving, leaving the military, or just learning about the women who have served in the military. If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash women of the military. And if you enjoyed Women of the Military podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service.